You are listening to Curious Cat, the podcast that examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. And I'm your host, Jennifer Hodes. Join me every week as I examine what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. Welcome to Curious Cat. Okay, so today's conversation is my favorite type. We're talking about consciousness that was once thought a woo topic, but I'm watching it in our lifetime as science is catching up. And I'd like to welcome the authors of Consciousness in a Nutshell, a Psychonautical Odyssey to the show. They are Jay and Lindy Nelson. And they're the authors. They have this amazing background, which I'll share more of at the end of this episode. I kind of want to just dive into it, though. So I, I just wanted to start off the beginning so everybody knows. Um, you guys sent me the book, the e-version of the book, and I am just dying. I'm enjoying it so much. I wanted to scan through it and I can't make myself fast forward into it. I've just got to, I'm just like, just enjoying every little nugget in there. It's incredible. It's the college textbook for the course that I never got to take at the University of Washington, but I wish I did. You guys would be the red hot chili pepper uh, professors. And um, I just wanted to know, uh, where did the book come from? It was five years, if I'm understanding. And where, um, so tell me where the book originated with both of you. I'll probably started with you and then I jumped in. <laughs> yeah. So um, did you uh, get to the Koreatown portion yet? Yes, that is exactly where I was about uh, a day ago. Okay. And then I didn't want to um, hinder my reading. So I, I kept going through it. It's like really incredible. I believe that's your near death experience, Jay, that you talk about. Exactly. Um, so I had a near death experience that happened in 2013. And back in that time, I was actually in, in, into acting and stand up. And um, I wasn't living the I wasn't living my best life to, to put it uh put it nicely. And, um, you know, was kind of a lying, cheating tyrant and, uh, just didn't understand the <laughs> concept of the shadow at all. Um, I mean, I kind of did, but uh, I didn't realize how much of my shadow was taking me down. And, um, it was that near death experience that really opened my eyes to me being wrong about everything. And, um, and wow. then it was from then that I was, you know, I was already into psychology. I was already into neuroscience. I was already, into um, just so many other different avenues of science. And I just decided um, over the course of the next couple of years that I should start pursuing this idea more hardcore and just go full force. Um, so, you know, the, the, the initial kind of idea happened during that night. And then ever since then, it's been slowly and slowly taking over my life until now it's 100% everything I'm focused on. So, um, and then she and I met in 2015. About a year um, and a half after that, yeah. And then uh, the wow. first draft came out in 2017, and then uh, we moved away from L.A. in 2018, and we've been just, you know, hardcore going for it ever since. But pretty much right from the beginning when we met each other, very shortly after, just a couple of months, we started really delving into consciousness together. Um, and we started off just as immediately it was a soul bond, best friend relationship, and we stayed that way for about three years until he spontaneously proposed without us ever dating three years later, but that's another story. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh. But that tells you that like you have be- both become comfortable with your shadow selves. Mm-hmm. Like Definitely. to come forward with a spontaneous uh, proposal. I feel like that's proof positive, right? Yeah, it is. Um, And I mean, I was listening to your first episode and it's all about the shadow and how we should own the shadow. And I feel like I do. That's where I get my power from is from my mistakes. Um, You know, I think the book is, um, you know, the main character, the narrator is wrestling with the philosophy of nihilism and then, you know, finds this philosophy of existentialism. And, um, you know, so the whole, you know, he kind of goes back and forth between these two ideals. And um, I think that's our life in a nutshell, or just the universe in a nutshell. It's like, we're always wrestling between it's all worthless, it's all pointless, or is there some sort of unseen order to everything? Well, and I have to say, spoiler alert, you guys are going to be fantastic parents, because that... That's the whole modus operandi behind my parenting. And my kids are 24 and 19 now. And they are wonderful in spite of me. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah. But it's it's been like basically um, here's my ugliness. Here's my, you know, where I maybe ca- came short. This, These are my mistakes. These are the places where I wish that I had been more honest, open, and um, or maybe more confrontational or had more boundaries. And I just live out large with my kids. And so they can learn from those experiences. And that's a whole goal, right? And, and then the shadow, it's like, it can be two things. Like we're all lightness and dark, if you listen to that first episode. And we really are harnessing our power when we delve into that. And for me, shadow was this place where some of the, you know, secret parts of myself that actually I'm really enjoying kind of exploring now it reside. And there was uh, this like, you know, this conscious, um, I don't know, was the egoic part of me that was just constantly, um, it was like this bad house mother or something that was always mm. telling me you're too much and you're this or you're not enough of that or you're, you know, whatever the things are. And um, so I like that you, you are open and honest in the book about all the uglies and where <laughs> it got you to right now. And it's, it's just where you are at. I feel like there's going to be even more to your book. I think there's going to be a second um, um, iteration of it, even in a few years down the road. And I am Mm -hmm. already going to be on the wait list for that. Yeah, we've always talked about how it is not the end. all. Even though it is in a nutshell, it's the beginning of the conversation. And Mm -hmm. we want to take it on the road. And the idea is to share it with community and to have conversations like this one. Exactly. I agree completely. So, and you talk about in the book, and I really love the first person feeling of it, of some of these, um, these things that you did to uh, get into altered states of consciousness. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of us do it through meditation and, and, you know, other ways, but there's like that, um, the deprivation, sensory deprivation um, capsules and things like that. But um, I don't know, I just, I, I find that it's a very inviting conversation in the book as well, because you're not saying this is better than that way. Find your way that works. Just break down those walls, that egoic self, put them in the corner and say, hey, you're not in the driver's seat today. You're in the passenger seat. And um, let's just see what unlocks for us. So I wanted to hear about some of your guys's alter, uh, you know, your... um, 
your your altering consciousness experiences if you're willing to share some of those yeah well it can sure. be as it can be as simple as you know how we started this conversation he he did 10 minutes of yoga right beforehand i had a cup of coffee and then i did a breastfeeding session with the baby like all of those are <laughs> mm-hmm. altered states of consciousness because mm-hmm. you know there's like that that oxytocin tocin yep. flush and and then you can go a little bit deeper with it mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, I kind of like the the book is kind of structured to, I guess, normalize the conversation around altered states so that people understand that even smoking a cigarette or not smoking a cigarette Mm -hmm. for 12 hours is an altered state, coffee, wine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so instead of calling these things drugs with a hard G, we should call them what they are, which is medicines. You know, cannabis is a medicine. Mm Uh, psilocybin is now mm-hmm. a legalized medicine here in Denver where I we know, live. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's one of the undertones, but um, sensory deprivation tanks, I love them because, and you can kind of do this at at your own house. Uh, you can block out all the light in your, you know, turn off every light in your house, go inside, um, go inside your shower, you know, even put a towel down like where the door cracks are because there's always some kind of light and uh, take mm-hmm. a completely dark shower. Um, and you know, the white noise of the water, the ritualistic, bo- um, the re- ritualistic washing of the body, this all mm-hmm. kind of puts you into an altered state of consciousness and it offlines the bodily self. And if you do that for a little bit, you know, a little bit of time, you know, you start to have some lateral thinking, like some of our best ideas come when we're in the shower and there's yep. a whole Reddit called shower thoughts <laughs> yeah, for I, a reason, which I love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're funny. I know. They're so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're, so, and they're oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, well, I was just going to say, and they're fantastic because you you have those breakthrough moments. You click together. It's like magnets click to click together in your brain. You're like, oh, yeah, that is that is a coherent uh, thought I w- could have had yesterday, but uh, it came together in the shower when I had nothing else to worry about. Yeah. And then so and you might experience this just as you wake up in the morning and you haven't started mm-hmm. your day. You know, I like to stay with my eyes closed, like right after I wake up, like close back my eyes and stay in this playful mind because you're still able to tap into um, basically, you know, your brain has uh, a few different wavelengths that it's like bouncing between all the time. And when you're mm-hmm. having those aha moments, that's a flash of gamma um, uh, wave that's happening. So that's when this idea gets binded together. Um, but you know, like right now, since we're super, super focused, our brains are primarily in beta. Um, so that's what we're operating in. But if you climb into a sensory deprivation tank or, you know, stay in this theta bill, um, that I'm talking about, like, you know, when you just wake up, then you're, uh, letting your brain waves primarily be in theta, which gives you access to different memories and different ways of thinking. And that's what altered states of consciousness are all about is, is a new perspective so you can see mm-hmm. your problems with a fresh set of eyes. And there's yeah. a lot of conversation in the book about how there are all of these different ways you can get there and all of these different ways you can ascend to what we called flow where you're just um you know you're out of your conscious thought you're out of you're out of your own way and you're just um in your highest self com- uh, highest sense of completion. Um, but once you sort of learn the pathway, then that's the important part. It doesn't matter which tool you use. It's the the important part is learning the pathway and then you can usually get there a lot faster, a lot more efficiently. And once you can start branching out and really doing the shadow work like you, like you were talking about. Well, and it's like a muscle that like the, and I hate to use muscle analogy, but I'm gonna, Mm -hmm. I just did. It's out there. Uh, it's like a muscle because, um, you know, for me, it, 
um, this whole experience like started with the, um, you know, the imminent death of my father, who was my best friend. And it brought me up my consciousness to another level. So sorry. <laughs> I don't uh. know where. Ah, love my dad. Mm. But um, it brought me to another level. And it like my uh, my eldest, I can't wait for you guys to have that experience as, as parents is my eldest is in Colorado and I'm in Seattle. And um, they were like, you've been there for me my whole life. And I want to be there for you when you go say goodbye to dad. And so they traveled here and they said, our homework is to watch Midnight Gospel with Duncan Trussell. And there's an... Uh, I hopefully you guys have watched this um, series on Netflix. Mm-mm. It's on my list now, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there is an episode, and I think it's episode number four. But he, um, the actual um, person who, um, you know, uh, is Duncan Trussell, who is the comedian and the podcast host. So he is actually. Um, interviewing his mom who's in stage four breast cancer and death is imminent for her. And she's talking about, don't be sad or be sad if you want to be. But she's talking about this evolution of, you know, life, death, rebirth, and how she, Uh now that she's closer than ever to the end of this uh, meat suit journey, she Mm -hmm. can see it so clearly. It's that altered state of consciousness you guys are talking about. And she's like, there is no egoic mind. It's like, I want to be remembered by you, but I don't want to be, you know, something that triggers mourning. And there's this whole conversation that's so incredible. So my eldest said, this is going to be our homework. We've already watched it, but we're going to watch it again. And so um, I sat before they made it from um, Denver to Seattle. I was sitting on the end of my kitchen counter, which was my safe haven. And I had these Legos that my husband got me this stack of Legos um, because Uh that was my only therapy. I'd had this manipulative Mm -hmm. and build these freaking Harry Potter models. And, um, and I'd, you know, watch Duncan Trussell, I'd be like meditating, my mind would just slow down and kind of process all of the conversations that we'd been having with my dad in the hospital. He's, he was blind. Um, He was not able to have an advocate in the hospital because it was time of COVID. And I was the only person in the family he could reach out to and be real with and say, you know, because he puts on a, a cheery front. He's a Riley mm. through and through. So mm. there's always a joke, a way to deflect what mm. he's going through. But I knew the real him and what he was going through and how he fought his ass off to get home, um, which was a three and a half hour um, ambulance ride um, back to the Mendocino Coast where they were to die at home surrounded by my loved ones. So I'm like, am I even strong enough to say goodbye to my best friend in real life? And, you know, I haven't, you know, I, I worked at a pediatric hospice raising money for 10 years, but I haven't been around a lot of dead people and especially somebody I've been so attached to. So it, um, it became this kind of a trust exercise with the universe for me. And I was Mm. like, I just need to know this is going to work out. I just need some affirmation. And I'm having this like deep moment and I'm building this part of the freaking Harry Potter model and watching Duncan Trussell. And there's this tap, 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 tap on the glass door to the kitchen. I'm like, how dare you? What is this tap, tap, tap noise? (laughs) And I turn around and there's this hummingbird and just and it's winter still in Seattle. 
and he's just like tapping on the glass window. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, duh, that's my confirmation. My dad's going to be okay. And so it took us to this other level. And so then my eldest came into town and we um, flew together down to um, Northern California. It's, um, you know, Santa Rosa area. And then you have to drive up to where they are. It's a three hour drive. And the whole entire time we knew we weren't there. We kept getting these panicked text my mom, he's not coherent anymore. You're not going to get the goodbye that you wanted or whatever. And Nora and I were like, we're not in it for, uh, you know, some goodbye. We're good with Grandpa Gary. We know exactly how he feels about us. He knows how we feel about him. We're Uh here in service and we just kind of need to be here for the whole family. And, um, And it was just like this even that was an altered state of consciousness because the ego was literally, it wasn't in the back seat. It was in the trunk because we were like, this isn't about us. We're here in service. And the whole um, journey that happened after that, even arriving at the house, you know, the entire house um, hold, again, it was times of COVID. We didn't want to be typhoid Mary. So there were just very few family members there. But my dad was in the parlor in the hospital bed. And, um, you know, immediately he was like, my Nora, my Jen. And Nora took his left hand and I took his right hand and we sat there. We stood there with him and held his hand for like two hours. And Nora's on his blind side. He's been blind on his left side his whole life. I'm on his right side where he could actually still see shapes and colors and things. And um, he's we're having this time with him. So we leave. Um, and when he st- he gets peaceful, he falls asleep. We know he may not be alive the next day. We go to the hotel um, to give the family space. And that night we both, uh, Nora and I both woke up at 4 a.m. We didn't know. I thought I was waking her up because I was tossing and turning. They thought they were waking me up. And um, and in the morning we talked about it. And right at 4 a.m., Nora had this dream. She said it was a visitation from Grandpa Gary. And he he came to me and he said, Nora, you're the one that's an electrical engineer. You are an artist. You know what this p- new place in the beyond is. Help me learn about the beyond. And he was doing all this wide gesturing at all these like colors and shapes in space. And they are in this realm where his left foot, his blind self is in this new realm, this new way of being. And then there's my dream. I was having exactly at the same time. And he was like, I'm pissed, Jen. I'm pissed. And I woke up just tears streaming down my face. And I thought, no, I need to go back into the dream and ask my dad Mm -hmm. what he's pissed about. And he said, I'm pissed because I wanted more time. I wanted more goddamn time. And so I'm getting the experience of his earthly self. Mm -hmm. And so Mm. I swear it relates to your book because it's this altered state of consciousness that allowed me to understand that we as souls can operate on multiple levels at the same time, at the same time. So, Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. What's kind of not like super, super out there in the book, but like it's the idea that there are layers of consciousness. And, you know, we were corresponding through email and I was telling you about how there's kind of two flavors of consciousness. You have embodied consciousness, which is very familiar to us. But then there are so many different reports of out of body experiences or near death experiences or, you know, these dream experiences where you lose normal tracking of space and time so you lose Mm -hmm. this bodily organized perceptual experience of time and when that happens 
uh, things are a little bit different and time <laughs> doesn't quite make sense. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, things can, things are more non-dual instead of, um, mm-hmm. the way that we're experiencing right now where you're over there and we're over here. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, we, it's interesting cause we've had some tandem dreams as well with Hunter, that's so <laughs> our new baby. Really? Oh, oh, that's so amazing. Okay. And you're writing them down. I hope. Mm-hmm. I would say some, some key takeaways are straight from the beginning, you know, it was like the dreams and the body got in tune with keeping him alive. So I would I would have a dream where he was in it and then he would start stirring and crying in the dream and then it would mm-hmm. wake me up and then he would start actually stirring and crying in real life. But he hadn't started stirring in, in, in the waking world yet. And then I started regularly waking up about five minutes before he would start crying. It's like my body wow. knew, my dreams knew, and then in the dream there would either be him crying or it would be someone at one point it was there was a dream where jay was like we have to wake up i'm like what are you talking about he's like we have to wake up I'm like, okay let's wake up and then he started crying yeah oh wow so it and that's the thing is like they say and, and it is it's it's not a uh, gendered thing it's like both parents have these instincts and like very much that my husband would have these instincts to do certain things in their lives that i was like oh yeah you know the opposite but they're it was actually really fantastic. And you create this like balanced, amazing human being in the process of listening and honoring that. And then also like as a mother, like I I read somewhere you have you, you know, right before you give birth, you have this other soul that is a part Mm -hmm. of you, like you are a vessel to a soul. And I feel like that sacred ground that um, and my, you know, my kids and I and my husband as well, they're definitely they've been in my soul tribe. I don't know how you guys feel about mm. reincarnation. I didn't know I believed in it until I walked through a past body, like past life experience. And I went, oh, OK, that was really interesting universe. But now it makes so much sense because I've known their souls and they've known mine in different uh, roles. And so your baby has like found you again, said, yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to come back to be your part of your soul <laughs> tribe again. And of course, yeah. you're going to know when I need you most because I'm telling you with red flags, I need your attention right now. I need this. We've so. we've been shown many times through different altered states and just through different meditations. It's um, in a way it's reincarnation for us, but it's also that it, there there's a quote that we put in the book by the monk that is everyone you've ever met is either you yesterday or you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I love it's that actually quote. Not in the book, but, um, but it's on the bookmark. It's on the bookmark because <laughs> uh, not everything could fit in this. True, edition, exactly. but you're right. There is a second one coming. It's already in the works. Oh. So. Uh, uh, I'm I'm so glad there is. Uh, it's so fun. I know. And I feel like sleep deprivation of parenthood is an altered state <laughs> of consciousness. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, so, so another conversation in the book is about, um, and just one that we have all the time is how, you know, you were talking about well, in, in, in essence, so when, when my body is waking me up five minutes before the baby starts crying, your yeah. body and your unconscious mind know things before they surface mm-hmm. to the conscious mind. Yeah. Um, and there, there are different studies on this. One of um, our favorite mm-hmm. ones to quote is the Iowa gambling task, uh, which he could delve a little bit more into that. But basically, it just show, it's, it's a scientific study that shows that your body actually can sense things before it surfaces to the conscious realm. Yeah. Um, did you happen to watch this video I put out called The Universal Reason Why People Get Depressed? No, but I feel like I want to do that next. Is it on YouTube? 
It is. Um, it's a very powerful video explaining exactly what and where depression is. And I cannot wait to get this idea to gain more resonance because a lot of people are of the belief that, you know, they just have a bad brain or depression is some sort of chemical imbalance right. when that's actually unscientific. And yes, you know, I'm you first off, like there's no way to quantify how much serotonin or dopamine you have in your brain. That's not a test yeah. you have. But um, yeah. I mean, of course, you can kind of put yourself in, in kind of like a medically induced depression by uh, taking too much MDMA or something like that, because that's going to mm-hmm. deplete your serotonin. But yeah, um, back to the Iowa gambling task. Um, so this this is is one of the uh, studies I quote in that video because it helps people get to the idea of what depression really is. And so I'll lay it out real quick. So the Iowa yeah. gambling task is um, a test where it's done with a researcher and a participant. And so the researcher sets out four decks of cards and uh, doesn't tell the participant exactly the rules of the game. He just says, you know, um, I just want you to draw from the decks and try and win as much money as possible. So the participant starts drawing from the decks at random and they... Skin sensor. Huh? Galvanic. I will get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, the participant starts uh, drawing from the decks at random and... Um, so anyway, also a part of this study is that there is a galvanic skin response hooked up to the participant so uh, they can measure the sweat glands um, in their skin. So it's kind of like a lie detector test. And so what's yeah. interesting is um, it takes the, the participant about 20 to 30 cards to consciously work out which decks are the good decks and which decks are the bad decks because they have no idea that the decks aren't random, that they're rigged. And uh, so, but what's interesting is the kicker, I guess, is that uh, about... After only 10 cards, the researcher starts to notice that the body is starting to sweat when the participant goes to the decks that are bad. Wow. After 10 cards. And then 10 or 20 cards later, the conscious self works out, oh, Catch deck that. A is the good deck or deck B is the bad deck. So what this well, tells uh, us. That's sorry, sorry. amazing. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's so this it. tells us that... Um, our physiology always plays a part in our decision-making, even when we think it's all top-down logic, like, you know, which decks are, which decks are the good decks. And you think, exactly. I've come up with this, but actually your body's helping you. And it knew before you knew. And so the right. idea about depression is, is that your body is telling you in the only way that it knows how, which is feelings, something mm-hmm. is wrong. You're choosing from the wrong deck. You're making a decision in your life that's going against your best interests. So we have an instinct for meaning and an instinct for evolution. And when you're going against the bodily self's wishes and wants and desires and the top, you know, the executive self or egoic self is driving you towards some negative behavior stereotype, I'm sorry, some negative behavior pattern, then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's when depression will start to manifest because the body's like, what are you doing? I'm not going to reward you with feel good neurochemicals because you're not acting in your from your highest self. You're acting from something else. You're acting something out, and I don't know what it is, but here's depression to let you know where this game ends. It doesn't end well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, that's why, okay, so, um, you know, that's why it's so exciting that Colorado just passed Prop 122, Mm -hmm. because that psilocybin mushrooms are having an impact, like a positive impact on depression, anxiety, PTSD. Um, we, I live right across the lake from the Paul Allen Institute, and they're doing a study about the psilocybin. I know John Hopkins has been doing it, you know, years, they started it years ago. But I have a friend who's a survivor of cancer who had serious PTSD because, mm-hmm. you know, he really thought he was going to die. And he's part of this study. And I 
find it so encouraging because at the same time that Prop 122 passed in Colorado, they're finally telling us the truth about these SSRIs. They're not working. And I know firsthand that when you think that that's your your last life preserver and mm-hmm. it doesn't work and and not only that it doesn't work it makes you more suicidal then you don't want to tell anybody because you think that's your last life preserver so you're clinging to it so your executive function is going this is the only thing i think that could work that society told me can work mm-hmm. and then when you're talking about the depression depression itself as you know is um cyclical so it's like you stop taking care of yourself. You stop eating well. You stop getting out in nature. You stop, you know, doing all the things that your brain and your body need to be healthy. And um, so it makes perfect sense. I really, I'll put the links to your video on YouTube in the show notes because people need to learn more about that. It's incredible. Yeah, I think we're living in a pretty amazing time um, right now because we're able to talk in the open about this and the science is going, yeah, we're we're figuring it out as well. Did you guys watch the PBS um, documentary? I think it's called um, Aware and then it has like a sub, um, it has a subtitle, but it's like, um, let me just look it up really quick. Sure. Because, oh my God, it's so good. And um, writing it down. Yeah, and uh, da, 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 little um, no, all I have is that it's it's a PBS documentary. It's called Aware, and um, it's available on Amazon Prime. It is available through your local PBS channel, but um, okay. it's it's crazy incredible because they talk to multiple people from multiple points of view. A Tibetan monk who actually was a PhD scientist, and he was looking at um, neurochemical imbalances and things like that. But then that led him down the spiritual track that led him to becoming a monk. And then um, there's a woman that is um, in, she's works for the University of Australia, um, uh, Mrs. Gagliano, and uh, I think is what her name is. And I don't think it's doctor yet, but she's on her way. So she was two things. She was doing this, her original PhD work was about fish. And she would go in to the ocean and she would feed these fish and she was trying to teach them certain things. And then So she's been doing this for months in her research. They've come to know her. They know at what time she'll be there. They Uh know they're about to get the morsels from her. And then the one day that she went um, to go collect them, because it's science, they're going to study their brains. And, um, you know, so she's going to collect them. She hasn't even set foot in the water yet, and there's not a fish around. So something in the consciousness that she sent out to the fish told them, stay away from her. Today, she's dangerous. And she thought, oh, my God, my whole academic career just imploded, right? And then she started discovering plants. And she started getting interested in plants and do plants have a consciousness and she's been doing this impeccable research about um, these peas like sweet pea plants and she's been using the pavlovian study on these peas so you think of the dog and the dog got um had heard the bell ring and then got the treat and then one out of 20 times they you know if they rang the bell they would salivate 
Mm-hmm. And um, and they didn't even have to offer the treat. So she started doing this with peas. And the plants, um, instead of the um, bell, it was a fan. So she would blow a fan on them. And instead of a treat, it was light because for um, plants, it's a treat. And so it became um, where she could just turn on the fan and they would bend the way that the light was, even though the light wasn't Mm. even shining on them. So she was proving that they are conscious and she keeps going deeper and deeper and people attack her research, even though it's impeccable because it's so disturbing to them to think about plants having the same consciousness as we do when they don't have a brain. So anyway, you guys That's will amazing. Love. I wonder if it's the I same scientist. I might have heard a uh, a lecture from her or a panel discussion, technically. But um, yeah. yeah, she was talking about how like you know eighty percent of the world is doesn't have brains because eighty percent of the Earth's right. biomass doesn't have brains because it's plants. And so yeah. you know, like I mean, the idea I'm kind of toying with now is that you know we have this localized consciousness that feels mm-hmm. like it's happening all between our ears up here, mm-hmm. but then you have so much of Earth's life, which has a more distributed consciousness and awareness, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, exists in like some sort of plant form. And so mm-hmm. it's a different type of awareness, but it's still awareness. So if people ask, like, are animals conscious? Are trees conscious? My answer is yes. yes. You know, it's all about awareness. Right. It's not about intelligence. Wow. And, yeah, and, it, and we exactly. don't know about their intelligence. And she's apparently right. finding out a lot of things about their intelligence. So that's it, awesome. It's it's pretty incredible. And um, and there's other examples in it. They do go into the John Hopkins study about the psilocybin and the experiences. And you mentioned that in your book about people say it's the top five most profound experience in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like this was just hardwired meant for you. But what you mm-hmm. were saying about this um, consciousness, like... To me, it's become this obsessive rabbit hole I've been going down, which is, is there a collective consciousness that's like an a cloud consciousness. And does that explain how we can have remote viewing? We can have psychic experiences. We can have past life, um, you know, uh, I don't know, realizations, things like that, future tense realizations. Um, It's become kind of my obsession because it makes sense as a society or as as a as an organism, not as as a a carbon based organism that we want to survive to be our best self. And so why would we say, okay, that that carbon matter and, you know, did something really dumb. And so shouldn't that information go up to the cloud so we can all learn from it, you know, or does it just, you know, end right there? So it kind of goes along with what you're saying and what she's kind of learning with plants. It's just really incredible to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, I think you'll really enjoy where the book ends up. Um, it does give you a very satisfying theory of consciousness that hits all five okay. domains of explanation, physical, mental, environmental, cosmological, <laughs> and metaphysical. Um, so <gasps> I think the, you know, the, the last two portions of the book are the most exciting okay. for me, but you know, you have okay. to set up the, the vocabulary. Um, well, and, so, and that's why I love it. It's like a textbook in that you're not, you know, shortcutting the whole thing. And I, to, you know, full yeah. disclosure, I'm on page 300. So cool. I'm getting right there. I cannot wait. Awesome. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I'm so excited for me too. I feel like I'm just going to have to email you guys as I'm, oh my God, blowing my mind. Call. It's yeah. 
Yeah, I will. It's, it's, it's really a fantastic, um, it's been a fantastic read. I can't, I can't recommend it, um, enough. It's really been incredible. So, um, so you talk very candidly about your near death experience Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, you go through that in the book and, um, I, that's another thing that I've been going down that rabbit hole because it's really, that's why we're looking at these altered states of consciousness because we're trying to hack the near death experience, right? Mm -hmm. So that we can have that perspective on our lives and what we're doing moving forward. So I don't, it feels like it's the wrong thing to ask, but for both of you, what are things that when you've had those altered states of consciousness, what were those big aha moments for you that were just life-changing? You can't ignore them. They're right there. And you can't, you, you can't operate the way that you did before. I would say it's interesting because you have them in the very beginning, but since, since straight from the beginning of our relationship, we started playing with the psyche and seeing what it could show you. And then every time since it's just been kind of a reminder, it's been less of an, aha, you didn't know this. And more of a, Hey, <gasps> you forgot this. I'm going to remind you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you, you've let your ego get in the way and you've forgotten the pathway that I've shown you. So I'm going to show you again and hopefully you'll remember. Um, but it really is, it, it breaks down to unity. Um, it mm-hmm. breaks down to, yeah. I mean, even, okay. So to, to take, to take any perceived woo away from the conversation, even if you just think of the biology of it, the fact mm-hmm. that matter cannot be created nor destroyed, it's only recycled. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Everything comes from the same place and we mm-hmm. all get recycled back into the earth and then get reborn in new organisms, get particles float around in the air, they end up in the water. Uh, we literally are the same biomass as everything around us. So why can't we be the same consciousness? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, when I take a psychedelic or something like that, what tends to happen is, um, well, first off, you know, it starts to dissolve the, the ego. Um, so mm-hmm. the, what is the neural substrates of the ego is called the default mode network. And so this network in the brain, which is a large scale network is usually able to fire and organize your perceptions in a way that is coherent and is normal, right? quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. But when um, you start to introduce a psychedelic or something like that into your brain, um, it's it, it, it hinders this network from firing in its usual way. And so um, experiences start to become more chaotic. And so instead of being uh, naturally organized by your body, um, you start to tap into that more chaos consciousness or disembodied consciousness. And so when you um, dissolve this ego self, uh, you tap into this moment of selflessness because your, uh, your, your sense of self is underpinned by this network. You tap into a sense of timelessness because time is calculated all over the prefrontal cortex and all over the brain, but it's your mm-hmm. body is what keeps time for you. You know, every cell in your body is, um, is keeping time, but mm-hmm. specifically the brain is what is helping you uh, maintain your sense of time. And so, you know, people tap into these moments of timelessness during flow states, you know, they'll be surfing or snowboarding or writing. I'm sure you tap into flow states all the mm-hmm. time, writing, don't you? Even, yeah. Oh, you okay. have to. Yeah. You absolutely have to. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, it's my favorite time. It's like the runner's high of creativity. Yeah. Exactly. And, and interesting you say that because, you know, runner's high is underpinned by the neurotransmitter anandamide. So you run for about 15 minutes or so and anandamide starts getting released. But when you're in a flow mm-hmm. state, 
you're getting uh, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, anandamide, noradrenaline, and sometimes oxytocin. So six feel-good neurotransmitters are dumped at the exact, uh, pretty much dumped at the exact same time, and it feels. I mean, people report being most happy happy when they're in flow, and so mm-hmm. that's interesting. It's interesting that we're most happy when we're when ourselves get offline. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and we tap into this it's moment so- of timelessness and wordlessness you can't describe it very well so mm-hmm. it's an interesting feeling and so flow states are miniature transcendent or mystical type experiences and transcendent or mystical type experiences are shades of a near-death experience so mm-hmm. this isn't 100 percent popular right now but uh it's an idea i'm trying to get out there which is that you know near-death experiences and transcendent experiences go hand in hand and so all the times that i've had a supremely yeah. deep near-death experience it was, you know, they coincided with this transcendent experience because you transcend the death of your ego. You become, you go from the multiplicity, the world of uh, separateness to <laughs> unity and then back into multiplicity again um, because you re- you choose to return down here. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Another, it, yeah, please go ahead, Lindy. Another, another very prevalent concept that goes hand in hand with unity and also with the near death experience is just the, the and, and the discussion of depression really is the idea of living in the present of um, the idea that depression is rumination on the past and anxiety is rumination on the future. And when mm-hmm. you separate yourself from those and, and focus on the present and live in the live in the present that's when you find peace or nirvana or whatever you would like to call it in your own structure and um where was i going with this uh depression and anxiety. Flow, depression. depression and anxiety and well, flow. i mean i think you're probably going it's it's when we extract ourselves from the present moment and think yes. about ourselves too often that we uh get into trouble you know so meditation <laughs> is ultimately a place where you I mean, at a time when you stop wanting for a second, you're trying, Mm -hmm. you're not trying to think, you're trying not to think, you're trying to suppress Mm -hmm. the default mode network, which is your ego, this thinking mind that's always like, think about this, think about this, think about this. And for me, it's like closing browser tabs. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is open, this is open, I'm thinking about this, there, there is judgment here, there is there is not a lot of compassion here, you know, and I'm, I'm noticing all these thoughts. And once you close enough of these, and you get better at closing them, you get better at staying grounded in the present moment. And you realize how the present moment is perfect, but it's our narrative selves, our egos that make it not so. And so psychedelics, ultimately, what they reveal to me are um, how the universe is perfect the way it is. And its only limitation is that it cannot produce imperfection. But our ego selves, our narrative selves, they can produce imperfection so amazingly that we believe it. We believe Mm -hmm. this storyteller in our head that's like, well, no, you can't think this universe is perfect because of this thing that happened three years ago and this thing that they said and, you know, and I don't know what else, but like, it's true. Yeah. Oh, it's, so. it's so true. Well, and it's like, I think that for me, I come, I came about it a different way. I guess the place that I felt most comfortable just trying to find that altered state of consciousness. I mean, I, I became, you know, addicted almost to the grief <laughs> process after my dad died. And it was meditation that really um, helped me to, it, it shrunk me. It shrunk me. And it wasn't so much that I disappeared in the space of the all. It was just I literally shrunk and I saw the scale of me compared to the rest that I'm actually a part of the sea of all of us and all of yes. everything. And it's like that alone just went, 
I'm going to be okay. We're all okay. And, you know, it's those um, repeating patterns that I can't get away from. It's like this week, the repeating pattern has been, of course, we live again. Every single thing nature teaches us in the, you know, the uh, sunrise to the sunset to another sunrise, sunrise again with the cycling of the seasons, with the ebb and flow of the tides of the ocean, that everything is reduced and reused and recycled. And we're the same way. And mm-hmm. so I know my dad exists and I know, you know, in, in a new form. And, you know, I like to think that baby Gary will be out there because he's got some more, you know, Taurus living to do. But it goes with the fact of anything that reduces the ego's role and like um, and and increases the the volume level of the rest of of everything out else mm-hmm. out there is really good for our brains and for our souls. So we need to do more of it. And I hope people really do dive into your book and find ways to be comfortable about you know just expanding what their little rule book is and just, you know, if they're not going to burn it up, just like expand it a little bit and then take another little baby step out of their comfort zone. Because it's these, like we talked about it at the very beginning, it's these dualistic ways of looking at things. There's good and bad, there's dark and light, you know, and all that, that crap, it just, it impedes Mm. our growth and it impedes us from remembering who we actually are, which is all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You talked about yeah. it in your first podcast episode, which is like, you know, we can't have the dark without the light. And you even mentioned the symbol, the yin yang symbol, the Tao. And you're like, yeah. you know, it would be imperfect if you could, if you remove this, it wouldn't even make sense. And so no, life it collapse. Make, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It just collapse. Yeah. So life can't make yeah. sense without death. And if there wasn't no. some sort of negative principle to life, you couldn't even cater- categorize something as being alive. You know, what, how, what, what would you exactly. compare it to? So I, well, I, I think it was Joseph Campbell that was um, talked about the Garden of Eden. And I know that triggers a lot of people because you have that whole Christian overlay. But he looked at it with these fresh eyes that I found like really I, I loved it. It was very rejuvenating for that that narrative. And he was like, we were bored. We were so effing bored. We were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was in balance. Everything was perfect. Everything was provided for. And then God said, oh, there's this tree. Don't eat from it. But really what he was introducing is he was saying, there's an apple. You, I'm giving you free will. This is a gift I'm giving you right now to get out of your boredom. And you can experience yourself over and over in these iterations by just grabbing the apple. And, you know, of course, we know that the power structures had to vilify the snake and they had to vilify the female deity with mm-hmm. that whole narrative. And I love calling BS on that <laughs> as well. But it was the idea that we were bored. And if everything was perfect and in balance, and probably if we were all darkness and light all the time, we'd be like, oh, I'm so bored being myself. And so we create these little um, dramas in our lives almost and um, our ways of being. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Just No, to- we are 100% on board with that. We tell each other stories because <laughs> the place of infinity, though it is beautiful, there's we, we were given physical bodies to be agents of experience to to live out those stories yeah Yeah. because basically if hmm, how do i say this okay so you you were just saying what joseph campbell's interpretation of you know we were in this uh garden of eden so a place Mm -hmm. of eternity and infinity um 
And then we decided to have a lesson in impermanence by having an embodied Mm -hmm. self, an embodied existence. Mm -hmm. A body is a lesson in impermanence. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. if you were the most permanent, absolute thing, the thing you would want is a limitation. You would want to come down here and experience the, you know, he talks about how, like, we're not here to have a meaning of life. We're here to to have the experience of being alive. And I would Mm -hmm. totally agree with that. We're here mm-hmm. to experience what life would be like with temporality because mm-hmm. what we really are is something that exactly. is eternal. And so exactly and to close it real quick. So like you can view consciousness as happening as something that only happens from your neck up, which is wrong. And so that's where the mm-hmm. first part of the book is like, all right, well, let's take it from that idea. Let's take mm-hmm. it from the perspective that consciousness only exists from the neck up and let's see where that bottoms out. And then you can start to entertain some other interesting ideas. And so when you start to entertain other interesting ideas, you realize that consciousness isn't something that is localized to right between your ears. It's mm-hmm. something that just is. Mm-hmm. Energy is consciousness. Life is consciousness. We are agents of consciousness. And we came here to have an experience. Ah, That's so beautifully said. Well, um, promise me you guys <laughs> will come back to Curious Cat. Yes, I'd love to. <laughs> okay. love to. I'm, I'm so glad because this whole conversation reminds me of this high magician, um, Damien Eccles, and he talks about this pursuit of the solar body. And basically, a lot of high magicians are in pursuit of remembering who they are and actually hold. I think of it as a memory stick. I think of our soul. This is me speaking. I think of our soul as a memory stick. And I don't hmm. want to lose track of it for the next iteration of me. I want to remember quicker. It's like, I, I okay with having a soul contract. Okay, I'm going to have these challenges. I'm going to have these things. But I'd like to have a little bit more of a, you know, plug in with that memory stick quicker. Mm-hmm. And that's what the solar body is. And a lot of high magicians are in pursuit of that. But it very much embodies all that your book actually talks about how the consciousness isn't the neck up. It's, it's all of everything, everything around mm-hmm. us and, and us. And it's all vibrating at an energy that is undeniable. And we just have to remember, you know, remember ourselves and our part in all of it. So I am very curious about that because I haven't yet heard of the concept of the solar body, but the memory stick <gasps> is something that is been like, if only I could not start mm-hmm. at, you know, exactly. the first square in the next. Right. Uh, and in some ways I see at the, you know, at the, the best way we can achieve that currently is with the next generation. So it's like I we have this baby now who can who's going to start mm-hmm. learning the knowledge that we have that we didn't learn until our late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. He's going to start a lot but, younger and maybe he can take it further. <laughs> Yeah. But but the great thing about kids is that they're going to, I mean, it's crazy the amount of, of learning that they're going to give you because mm-hmm. the wisdom that comes from my kids, oh, the way yeah. that they're operating too. So even that, that memory stick, it's like, they're going to go, oh, of course, you know this, you've done this before. It's like, hey, stupid or whatever. I mean, not for a long time. I'm sure your child will never call you stupid. Oh. <laughs> Well, yeah. thank, uh, please tell um, our listeners where they can find the book, where they can reach out to you and con- continue this beautiful conversation with you. Okay. Well, um, all of our things are easy to find on the website, www.consciousnessinanutshell.com. All of our socials are also at Consciousness in a Nutshell, all one word. Um, we're on a lot of different online retailers. And if you're in the Colorado area, we're currently at Tattered Cover Bookstore and Boulder Bookstore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Curious Cat. And I can't wait to have you back to talk some more. 
Thank you for having us. We really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to Curious Cat. Huge gratitude for my art director and audio engineer. If you're in need of those services, please find their links in the show notes. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay curious. I love you.